The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, let the American Council of the Blind send you a tweet. And it's the ladies' turn as Lynn Cooper concludes this year's Fall and Winter Fashion Report. Welcome to ACB Reports for October 2010. If you attended the recent convention of the Illinois Council of the Blind, you had the delightful privilege of hearing Lynn Cooper in person. Now, here she is by way of telephone with part two of the fall and winter fashion update from the Mirrors Project. For the most part, what comes down the runway and then eventually what is sent to stores for us all to buy is reflective of what's happening in the culture. And as we know, these are times of economic restraint. People are spending less. What we're really seeing, Mike, less and less sales of frivolous, can only be worn once with this outfit kind of stuff or real novelty pieces. So what we're seeing in the trends, quite frankly, are really nothing terribly new and shocking. So that is a good sign when we are thinking about um, the things we need for the new season. I will share with you the trends that came down the runway. Most of these we can either alter, accessorize, or somehow tailor what we already have to be in style for fall and winter 2010-11. One trend we're seeing is English countryside, and that pretty much is just what it says. It's things that you would imagine worn on a very windy, brisk, cold day in the hills of Great Britain. It's plaids and tweeds, thick fabric, thick, chunky knits also. We're seeing a lot of wraps and shawls, and this is probably something everybody has, and if not, maybe our grandmother has or down the street at the secondhand shop. It's layered, as, as we mostly think of for fall. It's a lot of chunkiness and a lot of texture. Velvet, that's a real big look for women and for men, if you can believe it. Not so much black velvet, Although if you have it, like I was just thinking, I have a black velvet uh, jacket. I know I'm going to be pulling that out. A few pieces of it in pants to dresses, handbags to hats. Now, for women, it's in jewel tones. And what we mean by jewel tones is colors that are the color of jewel stones. Deep red garnets and rubies, deep green emeralds, amethyst, a dark purple. So velvet is something that if you have a piece of tucked back in your wardrobe, pull it out, see if the uh, cut is still timely, and uh, give that a whirl. Leather clothing, leather jackets, leather dresses, leather skirts, leather leggings, which to me sounds absolutely absurd since all you have to do is sit once and you now have just stretched the knees out because it is a skin and it is not going to stretch back the way knits do and, and fabric. So be very careful when you uh, invest in a pair of leather leggings. Animal prints. Well, my goodness, how many times have we ever not said animal prints are in? And now bigger than ever, if that is possible. So this is where I would say, if you are going to invest in something, tuck it away. Fabulous. You know, accessories, scarves, maybe that um, animal print skirt or a pair of ballet flats for like $30. You know, you're not going to be investing in a real expensive pair. But these are great pieces. Once the season is over and we make sure that they are in good shape, we've either polished them or we've maintained them, tuck them away because those are pieces that we will be able to carry on probably for many more years. 
with the animal prints come snakeskin prints and actual snake skin. Very, very big look. In accessories, shoes, that's a great way to do it, whether high-end or from payless. It's a wonderful way to get that look to be current and yet to not have to spend a bundle. One of the looks for this season is 1950s schoolgirl look. I, frighteningly, am old enough to remember a poodle skirt. Imagine that you step into a circle in the middle of yards and yards and yards of fabric. And so when you're wearing it to the knee, it has big ruffles. They probably jet out at least a foot on each side from the hemline. Then we go ahead 10 years, the 1960s, which is very Mad Men, that TV show that's big right now. 60s ladylike, you know, the very sleek, often prints, a lot of uh, textured prints in a very thin-fitting pencil skirt to the knee dress. Very body, very clingy, a lot of sleeveless, just a little jewel neck. And then, of course, to the 1970s. So we see a little bit, not exaggerated, but a little bit of that hippie kind of thing going on. Another look is fur, and I know, thankfully, a lot of this is done in faux fur. And shearling, and what shearling is essentially is the fur of a lamb or a sheep. And the leather, it's worn inside with maybe you'll see the shearling fur uh, with the sleeves rolled up. Leather, shearling, coats, jackets, uh, we're even seeing dresses, skirts, hats, shoes, bags. I mean, the whole kit and caboodle. I was just noticing in one of my fashion resources that people were aghast because Chanel sent all of this fur down the runway, and then as it got close to the fashion reporters and the fashion buyers sitting in the front row, they realized that it was faux fur. So I think there's enough interest in faux fur that it is being done in a really, really nice way where it's really almost indistinguishable from animal fur. Menswear tailoring. This goes along with the minimalist look. It's very subdued, and a lot of uh, menswear suits are being worn by women and very minimalist. Not a lot of outside pockets, not a lot of top stitching, not a lot of epaulets. Another thing, Mike, you know, I'm always fascinated because it is such a visual currency that the culture uh, works around. And what I found so fascinating is even in coats, there are not a lot of trench coats being shown. Trench coats have the pockets and the bells and the whistles and the epaulets up on the shoulders and the extra buttons and the back shoulder flap for the rain and this and that. And we're not seeing a lot of that at all. We're seeing very, very simple lines in coats, single-breasted. And if they are double-breasted, not a lot of uh, ornamentation. And then we have a trend which is ultra-feminine, seeing things like real shimmery satins and more lace in blouses and dresses. And, of course, something that will always be tailored down to the store level is the lingerie looks. And, of course, on the runway, it looks like women are coming down in their underwear, but it will always be translated to be more wearable once it reaches the stores. Jeans looks, the 70s is really big with a slight bell bottom, as we remember wearing those. Or for dress pants, a slight bell at the bottom, but a creased dress pants with a normal waist. And for the longest time, uh, waists were just over around the pelvic bone. So this is a return to uh, a more classic style. 
The two looks that I noted in skirts are either the pencil skirt, which is very, very uh, tight-fitting, and then snug with a little bit of a kick pleat in back so you can actually move your legs, and that comes right to the knee. Or the kind of flouncy 1950s, I'll call it the poodle skirt. And what I'm also seeing are long skirts. And this is what we used to call back when I was in junior high school and high school is the maxi skirt. And we saw it in summertime in what was called town gowns for women. Summer dresses, casual fabric, cotton, jersey, you know, not fancy, but actually designed like a ball gown. Those are, I still see them on the street. I see quite a few of them. And that length to the ankle is being shown in women's skirts. Now, those would be maybe thick wool or chunky fabrics worn with a sweater, very fall. And then, of course, whenever you wear a very, very, very long skirt like that to your ankles, you don't want to wear high heels. That is the time for boots or flats or some kind of a chunky tie lace-up Oxford to kind of add a more casual, irreverent look. Otherwise, if you had a high heel on or a fancier shoe, it would look like you were out of place, that you were going to a um, ball. And coats, same thing as I mentioned for the menswear tailoring. Camel and gray are two of the biggest colors. They're subdued. They're very quiet colors in a coat, a camel coat, single-breasted, a few double-breasted, wool or even a pea coat is big but once again it's that whole keep it quiet kind of look makeup uh minimalistic i looked through hundreds and hundreds of uh women walking down the runway and many many different fashion uh, venues and what i noted was little or no cheek color a very pale face pale lips there will be a little color but not that deep dark red unless of course you're really going for a costumey look which will look costumey if you do the deep dark red and then you have that 1950s look i forgot to mention that in blouses and shirts for women the big look is to wear them buttoned to the very top so that'll even make one look very au courant when you even wear a pair of jeans and a white cotton shirt just button it to the very very top Soft, colored eyes, brown, taupe, nothing terribly dramatic, though. And I think that goes very well with the minimalist look. And, of course, with gray and camel, interesting colors, so much less powerful as we've talked about color psychology than, let's say, dark brown and black, which would be the next step on the uh, camel and gray path. With hair, you're seeing long, wavy hair. That's reminiscent of the 1950s. A straight long hair, you know, hair iron, pressing iron straight with the middle parts for the uh, 1970s looks. And braided, braided as a part of the hair hanging long or fully braided. And we're also seeing a lot of hair pulled off the face. Very, very sleek with gel or product in the hair pulled back either in a bun or a chignon. And that is C-H-I-G-N-O-N. And that just simply means a bun, your hair all the way pulled back, ladies. At the nape of your neck, there will be a little twisted bun of hair, and that will be fastened with hairpins. But for the most part, hair off the face and very soft makeup. Accessories, handbags, nothing new, really. It's just maybe a repurposing of things that chances are already in your wardrobe. Drawstring and bucket bags. That essentially, imagine um, your handbag being not structured, opening on top, 
and then you draw string it closed. Probably not the best idea for security reasons. A hobo bag, that's a very simple, same kind of approach, a little bit more structure, usually worn over the shoulder. Then we have the lady bags, which is basically a very structured bag, whether it be on a chain or a little shoulder strap. You shorten the strap, you can wear it over your elbow, or you can wear it tucked under your shoulder along your body. And those would be more structured, thicker leather whether it be patent or a snake skin or another animal skin, it's structured to it. It's not a flouncy like the hobo and the drawstring, a soft, malleable kind of leather. This is much more structured. And then messenger bags are big, and those are really kind of nice if we are going out during the day because they are safe. You wear them across your body, and they're also a really good look. Those are done in many different variations, but in leather, messenger bags are big on the runway. And, of course, going back to our animal prints, the cat prints, leopard, tiger in everything. As I said earlier, shoes, umbrellas, scarves, handbags, you name it. Now, this, if my husband were listening, would make him absolutely gasp because I've done a little anecdotal research and found that men absolutely detest white hose. And that is actually being shown again. To avoid the nurse look, you want to make it a geometric part of a 1970s look. You really, if you're going to do the white hose, keep it to a fun 1970s look so it's sort of color blocked. Uh, Another look we're seeing primarily worn by younger, remember ladies, we have to be age appropriate. These are knee socks that go over the knee. And uh, that's really a look that in my estimation is best worn by young gals. Shoes, we're seeing a lot of penny loafers, and those are in all sorts of leathers and man-made materials, patents, and what have you. We're not, unfortunately, seeing many mid-heels, but the only time we do see a mid-heel is what's known as a kitten heel, and that's a very thin little heel with an open strap back, and the very pointy shoes are coming in again, and this, I think, reflects back to the 1960s, 1970s look. Flats. See, once again, it seems we're either going to very high heels or flats. And the bow flats are big, which means you take the flat, as we talked about, ballet flats, and just look for one with a a bow ornamentation on the front. Ferragamo had a classic and still does. A classic I think they've had for 75 years in a bow flat. And it's really a good idea, ladies, that you invest in a good, high-quality pair of dress flats tuck them away, make sure they're always properly polished and sold and maintained so that they're ready to go. I speak in them because no way anymore can I stand in a pair of high heels. Hiking, now imagine hiking boots with high heels. Okie dokie. And then we have the thigh-high boots, which is essentially a pair of boots, but now they don't stop just below your knee or they don't stop at the ankle. They go all the way past your knee. And they can either be rolled or, under a shorter skirt, they can be worn in lieu of hose. It's kind of a fun look. And you can get them in flats or in any number of heel heights. Jewelry, every year it sort of changes. And what we're finding is uh, jewelry tone for this season, fall and winter 2010-11, is gold. And I noted a change, once again, pulling back. You know, I remember the mid-'80s where our earrings were the size of small kitchen appliances, But now they are small, almost like nickel size, maybe up to a quarter. And they are really small earbuds, even if there's a bunch of beads on them or what have you. You're seeing much more of that. 
And you have to keep in the theme. If you have a minimalist look, then you don't want to go crazy with the jewelry. Eyeglasses, a very big look, is that thick, retro, almost nerd glasses in black or tortoise shell where they don't really blend into your face. They actually stand out. And finally, a look that remains big, which we saw in spring and summer, is the fedora. And it's the men's hat with a a small brim. And that's really big. That is a nice place to uh, invest because that will be something you can wear for years. And they're all different price points. So there we have fall and winter looks right off the runway and off the pages of magazines for our women listeners. Visit Lynn at our website. LynnCooper.us. That's L-Y-N-N-C-O-O-P-E-R dot U-S. You're listening to ACB Reports. Terms such as social networking, Facebook, Twitter, and Tweet have leaped into the daily vocabulary of people throughout the world. Just what do these terms mean, and why are they becoming increasingly important to the American Council of the Blind? On September 20th, ACB announced its presence on Twitter, a popular social networking website, with the release of the ACB National page. Janine Stanley, a member of the ACB Board of Publications, says these terms are important to ACB for many reasons. First of all, Janine, what is Twitter? Twitter is a social networking application. It's basically a website. You can post comments of up to 140 characters, which doesn't sound like very much, but you can convey a lot of information instantly. And the way that Twitter works is that people will sign up for a Twitter account, which is a very easy and accessible process. Um, There is a a CAPTCHA involved, but it's an audio CAPTCHA, and it's an easy one. And then once you have your Twitter account, you can choose to, quote-unquote, follow people, which means if you have friends who have Twitter accounts, you can follow them, and what they write will appear on your Twitter page or in your Twitter client. A Twitter client is just an extra piece of software that makes it a whole lot easier to access Twitter. You can talk to each other. In the case of an organization like ACB, we can send out announcements. I'm just about to send one out about our voting committee meeting that's open to the membership. In that message, basically, we'll give the date and time of the meeting and then an email address that people can contact for more information. We can also give out a website that people can go to to look up information. And we can repost or retweet things on Twitter for people. For example, the Missouri Council of the Blind convention announcement came out. And we put up a tweet saying, here's their convention, here's when it is, go to their website. We've had our page up for three days, and we have 65 followers, which is pretty good for a first effort and uh, just not getting the word out. But if you don't have a Twitter account, you can still go directly to the ACB Twitter page and read things that are just on that page. Absolutely. You can still read all of our announcements. If you don't have a Twitter account, I believe they do like you to sign up for an account, and you can do a whole lot more on Twitter if you do that. And it is a fairly simple process, and you don't have to give a lot of personal information when you do that. But yes, you can certainly go to the website address, http colon slash slash www.twitter.com slash ACB National, N-A-T-I-O-N-A-L, all one word. 
and that will get you right to our page. You hear a lot of talk about Facebook, LinkedIn, and there's other things that are called social networks. What's the difference between Twitter and uh, some of these other networks, Facebook in particular? The primary difference, the one that's most important for people to know, is that Twitter is for very short messages and for quick communication, 140 characters. Facebook has, I believe, a 250-260 character limit. I think it's 250, I believe. So you can get a bit longer message. You can also do a lot more things on Facebook. You can post pictures. You can post audio. You can uh, play games, although not many games are accessible. In fact, I don't know that there are any that are accessible for totally blind people on Facebook. Accessibility is a continuing concern with Facebook, but basically Facebook is a place where you can do a bit more. LinkedIn is primarily for posting a resume for professional purposes. Now, a lot of people are using LinkedIn in more informal ways because people do find you that way and do look up associations that way. So Facebook, much more information is available through your Facebook page than would be through Twitter. LinkedIn, more professional, um, resume building, looking for other people in businesses, organizations, things like that. Why did ACB choose to go with a Twitter page versus the others? Primarily, it was timing. We put out an announcement back in June asking for candidates to help us administer our Twitter and Facebook pages, and we wanted people with a lot of experience doing this. We were very lucky in that we got an outstanding young lady, um, Natalie Byers from Illinois. She knows a lot about Twitter, uh, gets around very well in it, can explain it very well to folks. She is our Twitter administrator. We didn't get any candidates for our Facebook administrator at that time. Now, since then, we have a candidate. I'm not going to spring his name because we haven't uh, formally asked him yet, but uh, we're certainly hoping that uh, he will take over our Facebook page. So it was basically a matter of timing. And the Facebook page is going to take a little bit more structure and a little bit more support on the website side because when we put a link up on Facebook, we want to drive people to our website and we want to make sure that our website is ready for that. So Facebook may take a little bit longer. Twitter right now, we're working with it, we're learning as we go that we do need that website support. The good news is it's coming, though. The uh, administrators of your Twitter and Facebook pages, are these paid positions, volunteer positions? These are strictly volunteer positions. As with anything in ACB, once you volunteer to do something like this, you know, everyone asks you to help them. But one thing that we did to help support people that have Facebook and Twitter pages or are thinking about starting them for their affiliates is to set up an email list. It's basically a list for chapter and committee members who are interested in getting a Facebook or a Twitter or a LinkedIn account set up for their chapter. Unfortunately, we can't do the individual tech support, but we're lucky enough to have people on the list who can provide some of that support. We're having some good discussions about uh, what kinds of information you should post how to post meetings and keep details like phone numbers off the Internet because this information is out there for everybody unless you do things like protect your tweets and your Facebook entries, which you don't want to do if you're trying to get publicity. So how to keep privacy and how to get the word out to people are things that we're talking about and, and just what kinds of things to post. To subscribe to that list, send a blank email to social 
social-networking. That's S-O-C-I-A-L-networking-subscribe at acb.org. And then Paul or myself will send you a little note back. Thank you for subscribing. Can you send us a brief message about your interest in the list? And we do that to prevent spam. And uh, you just send us your note back, and we will subscribe you, and away we go. How long will those announcements like the Missouri Convention stay there? That will stay there forever. I don't think Twitter is part of the Library of Congress, but Facebook, all of the Facebook postings now are part of the Library of Congress, which is a little intimidating. But <laughs> That's kind of those interesting. Those will stay up there forever. So people can read down our list of things and look and see, oh, well, back in 2009, you guys talked about this, and now here's where we are in whatever. So people can get a good look at kind of the history of our organization. Twitter is huge for fundraising kinds of things. If you've got a fundraising event, you want to get the word out quick, so is Facebook because you can add pictures and things. We are pretty psyched about tweeting, which is now a weird kind of verb, but (laughs) tweeting the mid-year meeting and legislative seminar. Now, can you imagine, and people were doing this this year at the convention, sitting there during the presentation, typing these short messages to all of their friends who couldn't be there about what was going on, what was being said, etc. So we'll have Natalie doing that officially. We'll also have some of our ACB members who do this. We'll be retweeting their posts. If we see something good that they're talking about, we'll be sending that out to folks as well. So events can become much more live for people who are sitting at home at their computers. The real benefit for ACB then is the immediacy, plus it lets people, and not necessarily people who are blind, but it lets other people know that we exist in a uh, new and more time-efficient manner. Absolutely. This is going to pull in a lot of people who are friends with blind people, because one of the neat things about Twitter and Facebook is that you're not just connecting like with email to that one person who signs up for your email list. You're connecting with everybody that they're friends with. So when they look and see, what is Mike interested in? And one of the things that pops up is ACB National. And they go out and look and say, oh, wow, what is that? And they learn about us. They find out who we are, what we're doing. It works the same way for fundraising, and the word really gets out quickly. Do you need more than your basic screen reader, screen magnifier, etc., to take advantage of Twitter? Not necessarily. You can certainly use the website. However, if you want to be very effective with Twitter, you should use a Twitter client, this additional little piece of software. And the most popular one is called Quitter, Q-W-I-T-T-E-R. It's a little piece of software that allows you with a couple keystrokes to pop up your Twitter account and read messages. And it's great because you can do it anywhere. And I found it's addictive. I was one of these people who thought, this is great, but just too silly. I'm never going to do it. And now I check the tweets all the time because it's so easy. Installing the Quitter client is very easy. It's fairly easy to learn to use with all of the screen readers. So if you're thinking about Twitter, look up on the internet, Q-W-I-T-T-E-R. Main Menu has had a couple very good programs on ACB Radio about Quitter. Rick Harmon did a very nice Quitter tutorial. Excluding the iPhone with which you can save the world, can you do all these things with your favorite Braille note taker? At this point, you have to get on the internet and go up to the website as far as I know. For example, I've got an Apex, and you have to go out to the website in order to post tweets. 
it would be wonderful if they would make a Twitter application for that. There are Twitter clients for cell phones. We're still looking at which one is the most accessible to steer people toward, but there are a couple of them out there that make this easy from your cell phone so you don't have to go out to the website on your cell phone. Janine Stanley is a member of the Board of Publications of the American Council of the Blind. Helpful articles about accessing Twitter and Facebook will soon appear in the Braille Forum, the monthly magazine of ACB. As we wrap up ACB reports for October, I'll use this radio network to say thank you to Jay Doudna for voicing the September edition of this program at a time when hearing me would not have been pleasant. Thank you, Jay, and how about an encore? Send your suggestions or comments regarding ACB reports to the American Council of the Blind, 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia, 22201. Or you can phone ACB Reports at the number which follows. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.